you know, it's kind of like an athlete, you know, like, like I can't dunk a basketball, you know, but I can, I can break down a company and I can look at it and I can figure out what it's probably worth and, and how much you can lend against it or, or what it might be worth in a fire sale. Excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. These are the values the Sam and Walton College of Business explores in education, business, and the lives of people we meet every day. I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Walton College, and welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. I have with me today Joshua Pack, who is co-chief executive officer and managing partner at Fortress. Joshua, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So, uh, Joshua, if you wouldn't mind, um, let's start with just a little bit of background on Fortress and maybe the three different business segments and um, how much assets are under management and the strategies of those segments. So Fortress is a global asset management firm. Um, and, you know, we primarily focus on kind of debt and assets. So we're not like a, a long only, you know, equity hedge fund or um, somebody that um, trades in commodities or someone that, um, you know, trades uh, with other types of, of equity, you know, type assets. At the end of the day, what we're focused on is is debt and and assets. And when we say assets, it could be a very kind of broad spectrum of different things. It could it could be a piece of real estate, or it could be a, a non-traditional type of asset like a piece of intellectual property or a, a receivable that's due from um, some sort of tort case, a law case, a litigation asset. So it's a very kind of broad spectrum when we talk about assets. But on the credit side, um, you know, we we do everything from making new loans um, to companies. And these companies may not have access to capital um, because of their size or because of their geography or because of where they are in their life cycle, either growing really, really fast or maybe they're in some sort of, of turmoil. Uh, and shrinking, and so traditional capital providers aren't necessarily available to them. And then we also buy other pieces of debt on a secondary basis, either performing or non-performing loans. And in some cases, we get, you know, we put on our distressed debt hats and become very opportunistic in that regard as well. But the firm itself was was founded in in um, 1997 originally. It was a private equity firm that, that did kind of buyouts and things of that nature. And then in 2002, Peter Brigger, um, who was a partner at Goldman Sachs, uh, left after the Goldman IPO. And Peter um, basically started Goldman's um, special situation business, special situation group, which was a highly profitable business within Goldman for many, many years. When he left, he reconnected with some of his colleagues and started the credit arm of Fortress. And now when you look at Fortress, you know, we manage almost 50 billion in total AUM and the vast majority of that is now credit. So the credit business has really kind of eclipsed the, um, the private equity business. We have about 900 employees. Um, we operate in 12 offices worldwide. Um, our primary focus is North America 
Western and Southern Europe, um, Japan, and Australia. This is interesting. So you, you make loans. Let's take an example of this. And so I could imagine, you know, if you're a traditional business that has real estate, like you own the, the lot, you own the building, you've, you can get a bank loan. But if, you're, if you are, say, a software as a service, you might be very profitable, but it's hard to get a loan from a traditional bank, I believe. Is that right? That's, that's true. And, and the loan sizes that we look at is typically kind of 50 to 500 million. So we're dealing with businesses that I would say are, are kind of in the upper part of the middle market. You know, take, for example, um, maybe it's a it's a regional restaurant chain, you know, that that operates 500 units and generates, you know, a hundred million dollars a year of of um, EBITDA on one point five billion of sales. You know, that company um, might want a, you know, four hundred million dollar credit facility, either refinancing debt, you know, um, funding CapEx projects. Um, or maybe the the sponsor, the ownership is taking a dividend or distribution or something, or maybe they're acquiring another business. You know, that's kind of a, a typical business that we we lend to. We're also um, very large players in in the software space, um, healthcare companies. Energy is becoming a much bigger piece of our pie, um, particularly as other lenders in that space kind of retract from it because of you know ESG policies mainly. I would say that in the real estate part of the world, that has historically been a place that we haven't done a ton of lending when the markets are very normalized. But when you look at it today and the markets are very disrupted, we're getting much more active in that space. When you mentioned um, intellectual property, I immediately think of patents and copyrights and trademarks. Yes. We like all of those assets. We have businesses that that uh, will lend on those on those um, different properties, um, and we have um, businesses that will, uh, in effect, buy um, those assets. And, and sometimes you're you're really not allowed to buy the assets, but you have to kind of buy the whole company in order to get to the assets. So so that's kind of another piece of our business. But from IP, you know, when you think about trademarks and brands. Those are assets that we, we definitely like lending against because there's typically, you know, pretty robust um, cash flow streams as, associated with them. So there's all kinds of licensing agreements and, um, you know, take like a, a franchise, if you will, or like a like Circle K gas stations. You know, they, they, they have a brand, they have a logo, and they license that out to thousands of different operators across the country. So you're getting a cash flow stream. It's being paid by 5,000 independent operators that's contractually increasing over time. So it's a very robust and kind of powerful cash flow at the end of the day. And then you have things like intellectual property associated with patents. And, you know, if you're a, if you're a startup business and you have some new technology and you have some great patent and you've been able to develop or maybe you have a family of patents, you know, accessing capital at that stage of growth is pretty difficult. You know, there's the VC world, but that's come in a lot, um, particularly recently. But what we're able to do is, is say, okay, we think there's value to these patents. 
we'll move them over into a, a special purpose entity and we'll lend you money against those patents um, that you can go use to grow your business. Now, if they're successful in growing their business, great, they pay us off. And um, we've probably gotten some warrants or some other equity um, participation in their operating business, but it's way, way cheaper than what you know the VC firm would have given them and they, they'd experience much less dilution. I would think, too, um, then, there's a self-selection that goes on a little bit there, right? Because firms that are most confident, they don't want to give up equity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they, and they know they have something valuable there. And then if the firm, you know, heaven forbid, fails, then we kind of have this structure where we can just step in and kind of take over the patent. So, you know, we'll just walk away with our collateral and then we will figure out how to license that technology out. And when we do our analysis and determining kind of what we can lend against that, we do that, you know, um, kind of game theory that goes into, well, if we own this, you know, who is the likely users of it? How big is that market? We might look at it and say, you know, firm X, Y, and Z might be infringing on that patent and figure out an enforcement route against it. So there's there's all kinds of different, you know, decision trees that you can take along the way to come up with with um, determining the value of that piece of collateral. Well, this is I'm so glad that I'm talking to you about this. This is a different type of a investment uh, vehicle than I'm used to. Well, we have um, it, so with Fortress, it, when we think about our business kind of 50% of our business, I would say, is kind of standard standard lending, standard private credit, um, kind of standard um, stressed and distressed credit type activities. And then the other half of our business are kind of these niche and esoteric type of strategies that we've developed over the years. And typically, we kind of grow them up inside the firm, you know, add people over time. And the IP business is a big one. You know, our trademark and um, uh, intellectual property associated with, you know, film and associated with uh, music is another one. We also have, uh, I think, probably the largest litigation assets business uh, on the planet. And that's kind of a growing field. There's there's a couple public companies um, that, that, that do it. Um, one, one is out of the UK. Uh, but really, I think um, I think we're probably the largest. And you know, there's all kinds of ways to monetize large kind of legal claims. Uh, at the end of the day, you, if you're, for example, if you're a Fortune 100 company, you might have a few billion dollars of different kind of litigation claims coming on at any given moment in time. We can show up and actually potentially, you know, give you three or 400 million of liquidity against that multi-billion dollar pool after we've analyzed all of the claims. And so for the first time ever, the company can kind of accelerate, you know, the cash flows that they get and actually take that, take that investment into earnings. Um, so it's a powerful tool from a, uh, a treasury management perspective. And from our perspective, you know, we're going to lend a couple hundred million dollars. We're going to get a great PREF return. You know, maybe it's 12, 15 percent. And then we're going to participate 
and the ultimate resolution of that entire multi-billion dollar litigation portfolio. So these end up being really, really great investments because the the downside risk is so low and the upside is pretty dang high. We also do things where you have these really large law firms that are involved in these massive tort cases, you know, whether it's talcum powder or, or Roundup or, or um, you know, uh, Johnson & Johnson or, uh, you know, diesel emissions and all of these big cases are in various stages of their life. You know, some have been settled already and they're just being um, uh, signed off by the local, you know, states to, to come into agreement. Um, some of them are in the earlier stages and people are actually just collecting plaintiffs. But if a law firm has these huge pools, we can provide them with some capital today. Think of it as almost like a factoring of a receivable. You're, you're making a determination of how good is that receivable, i.e. how good is that case, and then you come up with an advance rate against that. For some law firms, you know, we will um, provide them with, you know, $50 million credit facility, and it will be secured by hundreds of millions of dollars of, of potential fee income that they're getting from these large tort claims. And they'll take that $50 million and they will use that to invest in acquiring new, plaint new plaintiffs. So for example, we are probably responsible for all of the commercials you see on TV for Camp Lejeune, you know, because uh, a lot of the law firms that we're involved with are, are collecting plaintiffs for the Camp Lejeune claims. And so we've provided them with a credit facility in order for them to go out and market that. But at the same time they're doing that piece of, of tort um, case, they also have these other large cases going on that are way more further developed in their life cycle. Fascinating. You've got the three different business segments. Are they separate funds for each of them? So we manage we manage uh, almost three dozen different funds. Okay. The, there's kind of, we, we always try to broadly categorize the different areas that we're investing in. You know, some are easily defined. So like if you take private credit, you know, we, we have this, and this is where we're making par loans. We're making new loans to businesses on a senior secured basis. Typically, you know, the first person in line in a business to get paid back and our last dollar typically doesn't go through more than say 50% of the value of that company. And so today, you know, that's kind of a 10, 11, maybe 12% unlevered yield that you're getting on that type of investment. And then we'll put a little leverage on it so that we can generate kind of a 15, 16% gross return for our investors. But what's nice about the private credit business is that it's it's senior in the capital structure, so there's a lot of wiggle room in case something goes wrong with the company. Um, you're the first ones to get paid back, and you have um, typically floating rate type of structures. So in an environment like today where you have rising rates, it's a very attractive place to kind of hide out in order to earn a great current yield. Other you know, alternative asset managers, private credit businesses, I've experienced a lot of growth over the past five or six years. 
you know, it, it's not growth for growth's sake. It's growth because traditional forms of credit have been retracting from the market overall. So private credit has kind of filled that void in basically kind of keeping the, the gears of the economy lubricated. Are your funds set up like what we what you would expect for an alternative investment where you have LPs and a general partner and yeah, we have the majority of our funds are closed end funds. So, you know, they have a life to them. So our our private credit funds have a six year life. Our our credit opportunities funds where we do some of these, you know, more esoteric investments and more more uh, distressed types of investments. Those have a 10 year life. And these funds, you know, uh, we aggregate kind of LP commitments, and then we as the GP manage the investment um, of that capital. We do have a couple of open-ended funds. Um, one is um, uh, called Drawbridge, which is our evergreen hedge fund. Uh, and then we have some other vehicles that we've been um, kind of in the process of, of developing um, both here and in Japan um, which are going to be more the evergreen structure as well. Joshua, would you mind <clears throat> speaking to uh, your investments and in activity supply chain? Yeah, sure. I mean, m- most of our activity, and, and frankly, there has been a lot of activity, particularly over the past few years, you know, with, with kind of the chaos that, that COVID created. But most of our activity is in shipping, um, and then also on the real estate side with respect to um, either kind of owning um, or in some cases actually building um, large distribution centers for, you know, for the big guys out there. You know, all, all the, if you think about the large, you know, e-commerce folks and, and some of the other people, you know, we've, we've done kind of built a suit programs with those groups to help them expand you know, their logistics empire. People always ask me like, well, why do they work with a group like Fortress? Um, you know, aren't you expensive? And, you know, we're, we're certainly not the, the cheapest cost of capital, but when you think about, you know, some of these integrated, um, you know, technology and logistics businesses and, you know, where they spend a dollar, like, is it, is it better to trap a dollar in some bricks and mortar in concrete on an asset or is it, better to invest in a you know streaming platform um, business or to take that dollar and invest it in some sort of cloud computing business or or retail marketing business and it ends up being that they'd much rather use that dollar and not invest it in a fixed asset on the shipping side um, you know shipping's a, a very dangerous place to invest there's there's lots of people that have lost lots of money um over the years um but we have we have some great relationships and we've been very successful in in kind of being able to buy shipping assets and that's either you know dry goods and bulk shipping or or even liquid container shipping and then you know hopefully selling um at the top um but we we have a great track record in there uh what one of the really interesting deals that we've done recently during the COVID crisis, we bought a bunch of wide-body uh, aircraft from a major airline that needed liquidity. Um, so we bought 
um, about a dozen of those airplanes. At that point in time, the market for that was very, very low. Obviously, the, the, you know, the airline industry was pretty much shut down. And what we could have done is just kind of waited for the market to recover and then put those airplanes under lease. Um, but what we're actually doing with them is we're converting them to cargo um, planes, um, which have you know significantly much more demand now. And what this has actually done is it's actually grown into a business for us, where we are now converting other people's planes, not only our own but other folks, into into cargo. This is such an interesting business, Fortress. Would you mind speaking a little bit to your career and how did you get here? I get asked a lot, you know, what, what, what should people be doing or what's the career path and, you know, of, of, of entering kind of the investment world. The straight answer is there isn't a, there isn't a, a clear delineated path. I mean, everybody has their own story. Um, you know, just because you go to a great school and you do X, Y, and Z doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Starting off in life, I don't think anyone would probably expected for me to be where I am. But the short story is that um, I grew up in a military family. Um, that was kind of the only direction that I had ever really thought about. Um, you know, I, I watched, uh, you know, Top Gun as a as an 11 year old or 12 year old, you know, 50 times and figured I wanted to fly jet planes. So when I graduated high school, I went to the Air Force Academy. Um, and after um, a period of time there, I decided that this isn't what I wanted to do. So I left there and I kind of bounced around for a while. Um, you know, I, I did kind of four schools in, in five years um, and kind of had a midlife crisis at you know, 21, 22 years old. And, and, and then when I, when I finished school, um, I got a, um, a job. It was financial phone sales where you were trying to kind of convince companies to, to lease back their computer equipment and other things. Um, and it was, it was kind of a miserable job, but it was a great experience because I got to learn to communicate and I got to learn to talk on the phone and I got to learn how to to market um, myself and how to peel back layers of a corporate organization and find out who's really making decisions and who's really important at the end of the day. And, you know, back in those days, you used to look at the classified ads and uh, I found an ad that seemed interesting. Five friends from different investment banks coming together in Northern San Diego and to start a company. Um, that was going to make loans to um, branded businesses, so franchise types of businesses. I was able to join as kind of their first employee, I guess their second employee. I hung around for a year, and then, you know, some of the other partners that left hooked up with, with Peter and Fortress and said they were going to do this, this thing um, on the credit side, and I went out with them in 2002, and then plugged in the fortress as soon as we started the fund. You know, I think, I think investing is somewhat of a skill. Would you mind speaking to the culture of fortress? We're, we're, we're a very flat organization. When we have our credit committee meetings um, to make investment decisions, we open it up to the entire firm, you know, everyone from the interns, um, to the new analysts, to the senior managing partners. Um, and we want, we want dialogue, we want criticism, we want 
you know, we want somebody that, that maybe has never done a legal asset, maybe it's somebody in our real estate group, and we have a, le we have a litigation, um, uh, a litigation asset type of opportunity that we're looking at, and he's not in that group, and he really knows nothing about it, but he's got four or five questions. You know, we want him to ask those questions. You know, we, we want our, our intern, you know, maybe, she, maybe she's, you know, had some experience with some business before. We want her to speak up. So we really like having this kind of open dialogue and an open kimono type of investment structure where it's very transparent and, and you know, there's, there's no real hierarchy about it. Everybody has a view and everybody's welcome to present an opinion. And then within the firm itself, um, you know, these 25 different kind of businesses or platforms that we have that exist within Fortress, you know, a lot of them are developed internally. Um, you know, Jack Newmark, who who recently was um, appointed as a managing partner, he created our litigation um, finance business and our litigation assets business, and he did it over the past, you know, 12, 15 years, and now it's a, you know, it's a three to four billion dollar platform within our company. Everybody at the firm too can see that, you know shoot, you know, maybe one day you can be CEO or one day you can be running one of these platforms. So we, we like having that upward mobility within the organization. We tend to bring people in to the company when they're younger, when they're more junior and, and kind of instill in them the fortress DNA and kind of train them up. We haven't really had that much success bringing in senior folks from the outside unless there's a real specific kind of business need or, or somewhere where we just don't have any expertise. And frankly, we have a lot of tenure. You know, the senior management team has been together for more than 15 years. Some of us have been together for 25 years. You know, at the same time, you want to be in a place that, that, that you're having fun, that you're still finding interesting, and, uh, and you're able to kind of, you know, still get that still get that buzz or still get that high off of going out and making a successful investment and seeing it come to fruition. Well, Joshua, this has been so interesting. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to visit with us and congratulations on your remarkable career. Well, thanks for having me. On behalf of the Sam M. Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching Be Epic, B-E-E-P-I-C.